Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, this morning we're continuing our series called Generous Living. And it's based on the fundamental belief that I have that we were created by a generous God and we want to live generous lives. And uh, it's, it's really been great as we've been going through this series, particularly um, feedback that we've gotten from our community groups. And if you're not in a community group, I really encourage you to get, get plugged into one of those um, because there's been a lot of good, uh, honest discussion about God and finances and our discipleship and, and how we follow Him. And, and uh, it's just been really, really good. And inside your program, by the way, are the questions for um, our community groups. Um, so you can, if, you, if you're here this morning, you know what you're going to be discussing in a community group. So I really encourage you to get plugged into one. If you're not, at least take those questions and go through them personally in your own personal devotions. Um, Because this has just been an incredible, credible series. Uh, And what God's been doing in us and through us as a church, I've just been excited to see. But it's all based on this belief. And I really do have this belief. We were created to be generous because we were created in the image of God. And he is a generous God. And that's why when we are generous, when we help somebody in need, when we take some of our extra and help someone else, it just feels right. It feels good. It's because that's what we were created for. And not just generous, by the way, and we've been focusing on our finances, but it's not just generous with our finances. It's generous with our time and our talents and our abilities and our skills, volunteering and getting involved. Um, We're focusing more on finances at the front half of this series because as Jesus said, that's the indicator of your heart. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. So um, this morning I thought we'd start off with a little um, question for you. If you had the opportunity to stand in front of a bunch of very wealthy people and you had the chance to tell them just one thing and they would listen to you, okay, what would you tell them? Give that a little bit of thought. If you had the opportunity to stand in front, get over your fear of speaking in public, but if you had a chance to stand in front of a bunch of wealthy people and just tell them one thing and they would listen to you, what would you tell that group of people. Just turn to the person next to you really quickly and just tell them, what do you think you'd say? The first thing that comes to your mind, okay? Go ahead, tell each other. <laughs> took, took you a little while to get into that. A lot of you have a fear of public speaking, something? I don't know. Um, well, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, wrote a letter to a young protege, a young pastor um, at a church, and and he gave gave him instruction. He said, this is what I want you to tell your people. And uh, the pastor's name was Timothy, and actually Paul wrote two letters to him. The first letter of Timothy is the book of our Bible called 1 Timothy. Very creative title, isn't it? I know. Um, So we're going to pick up in this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, or we've got them there on the chairs next to you. Um, these are the words that Paul wrote to this young pastor and said, this is what you need to tell your people. These are the things that your people need to understand. If you tell them anything, make sure you tell them this. Verse, 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Skip down to verse 17. So command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. The title of this message this morning is How to Be Rich. There are a lot of seminars, there are a lot of books, there's a lot of consultants that will tell you how to get rich, how to acquire wealth. We're going to talk about how to be rich, okay? Not how to get rich, how to be rich, because they are two very, very different things. And this is what Paul told Timothy to tell his church, and it's a message, if this is not a message for 21st century America church, I don't know what is. Because Paul says, this is what it takes to live a rich life. That if we are going to be rich, one of the first things is we need to cultivate a sense of contentment. Because a rich life begins with contentment. That's what he says, verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. The truth of the matter is, no, we won't. We aren't, and we won't be. We are not content with that. Because here's what what has happened. In our culture, particularly in our culture, we have moved from this idea of replacing things with upgrading things. Right? We don't buy a new car because the old one has died and it won't run anymore. We buy a new car because a new model has come out. We don't replace our cars. We upgrade them. We don't replace our washing machines. We upgrade them because now front loaders are in style. Top loaders are so 1990s, you know? It's just like, <laughs> I got to upgrade. We do it with everything. I, I, love, I love my iPad. I was very happy with my iPad until they came out with iPad 2. <laughs> And now I like, I need an upgrade. Think about it in your cell phone. You are waiting for that second year of your contract to expire so you can upgrade to the next model, right? Oh, don't give me that. (laughs) We are all like that. TVs. Remember when all we cared about was what the front of the TV looked like? Yeah. Now we care about the back of it. Because you can't mount those big honking things up on a wall. I went 10 years ago, 10 years ago before HD came out. It was just coming out. But digital TV was a thing. 10 years ago, I saved up my money and I bought a Sony. A Sony TV, digital TV, 30 inches. Now that sucker won't die. I invested in something way too good. I don't have an excuse to go out and buy a flat panel TV. I mean, that's the way that we think. That's that's just, that's our whole mentality. We don't just replace things anymore. We're always upgrading. Because we're not content. 
What is it that drives our discontent? Comparing. Comparing. We are perfectly happy with what we have until we see another that's bigger and better. And then we figure out, how can I get that? I am perfectly happy with my home until I walk through the model homes of a new development. And all of a sudden, my ceilings feel like they're only six feet tall, you know? I love my kitchen. My kitchen is perfectly fine until I go to somebody's house and they've got granite countertops. And all of a sudden, mine looks dingy and old and so 2,000. I got to upgrade. And it's all, it all, what, what drives all of this is this comparing. We are perfectly happy with what we have until we see something bigger and better. And that's, that's just, that just speaks to our culture. It is so ingrained in us. And that's where our discontent comes from. Because when we compare, we always compare upward, don't we? We don't compare downward. And because we're always comparing upward... We never feel rich. If I were to ask you this morning, are you rich? Most of them say, no, I'm not rich. I'm not rich. Well, let me tell you. If you have a jar at home with a bunch of change in it, or a little caddy on your dresser that's got some extra change in it, that's a rich person thing. If, if you get paid a couple of weeks off every year to not work, to not work and you still get paid, that's a rich people deal. You get that? If you have, a, if you have change in the ashtray of your car, we don't even have ashtrays anymore. Actually, there's a, little, there's a little thing and it's got slots for the change. That's a rich people thing. If you have a car, that's a rich people thing. And if you've got more than one car, man, you are wealthy. There was a time when our kids were growing up and starting to drive, we, had, we, we, had, we were responsible for five cars in our cul-de-sac. And they didn't all fit in the garage because we had too much stuff in the garage. Only one car could fit in there. And so we, you know, we were taking up all the parking spaces on the cul-de-sac. I was embarrassed with my neighbors. But that's a rich people thing. If you have a gift card that you got from Christmas and you still haven't used it, that is a rich people thing. You see, we don't realize, because we're always comparing upward, we don't realize how rich we really are. And we need to come to the realization that when, when Paul is telling Timothy to tell the rich people these things, he's talking to people like you and me. Because compared to most of the world, we are extremely, extremely wealthy. If you have a bedroom in your house that nobody sleeps in, it's just there in case somebody comes to visit, that's a rich people thing. We are truly wealthy. And we live in one of the most wealthy parts of our wealthy country but we're not content because we're always comparing. We're always comparing upward. And so we don't feel rich. We don't think of ourselves as rich. 
and we are constantly discontent because we always think, if I had just a little bit more. Paul says, wait, you got to help these people understand that a rich life doesn't come from getting more. A rich life comes from being content with what you have already. Contentment, godliness with contentment is great, is, 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 is great gain. He says, for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. He says, get an eternal perspective on all of this. Godliness with contentment equals great gain. You see, if great gain was only about acquiring stuff and building up resources here in this life, and we don't take any of that with us, if that's great gain, then our life is basically a wash, he's saying, because we brought nothing in, and I've done a lot of funerals, and I've never seen anybody take any with them. So if we define great gain by only what happens in this life, then our life is a wash because we have nothing to show for it. Richness of life doesn't come from getting more. Richness of life comes from contentment. And I am, tell me, I am preaching to myself as much as anybody else because I know the discontent that runs in my own heart. I can't walk through Best Buy anymore because I want to buy stuff. Because it's a best buy, after all. I mean, that's the way that we work. Contentment is something that needs to be cultivated. It's something that needs to be nurtured. Because there is always this tendency towards discontent. So it's, it's something that we have to work on on a regular basis. Paul, who wrote this letter to Timothy, wrote about himself. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. It is a learned attitude. It is something that must be practiced on a daily basis. Some ways that you can do that. When you see commercials on TV, talk out loud to your television set and say, I don't need that. (laughs) Just, Just try it. You know, the rest of your family's going to think you're kind of crazy talking to the TV, but you do that during a sporting event anyway. So, you know, <laughs> but just say it out loud, reinforcing your own mind. I don't need that. That's something else I don't need. I mean, you'll get plenty of opportunity in any one program to say that. Just, I don't need that. Don't go shopping as a hobby. <laughs> Only go shopping with a specific Purchase in mind and only shop for that one thing. Don't stroll the mall seeing what else it is that you need. This is training ourselves. This is cultivating contentment. And it must be cultivated. It must be nurtured. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, if you don't, if you don't, you will never be satisfied. Something that needs to be cultivated. And if we are going to live generous lives... We need to cultivate contentment. Next thing is we need to learn to rely solely on God's provision. Solely, fully on God's provision. Be careful where it is you place your trust. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Now, remember, he's talking to Christians. 
He's talking to rich Christians. He's talking to us. And so in the same way that Paul says, Timothy, tell your church this. He says to Pastor Ken, tell your church this. Do not, do not put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. And make sure that you're not arrogant about what you have. He says, be careful not to equate your self-worth with your net worth. Because we have this tendency to measure our importance by how much stuff we have. That becomes the measurement. We have this tendency to equate who we are with what we have. And the truth of the matter is you are not any more important because you are rich. I was talking this week, a member of our church, friend of mine, he is a ticket agent for a major U.S. airline, works at San Francisco Airport. And he says, it is amazing. I was just talking to him this week. He said, it is like, it is crazy these days. He says, it is amazing that people who have purchased an airline ticket think that ticket gives them, gives them permission to be rude and obnoxious because they could pay for an airline ticket. He says, it's just not fun anymore. Because people have been able to pay for something, they feel like they can berate you if you don't provide the service that they think they ought to have because they're so rich. How do you treat the servers at the restaurants you go to? How do you treat the people at the cash register at the stores that you shop? Paul says, and how did he know this? Tell those rich people not to be arrogant. How did he know that we put so much of our self-esteem in our stuff? Because that's human nature. He's saying, now it's, not, it's okay to be rich, but don't put your identity there. Don't get all of your security there. He says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. And anyone here this morning with a credit card debt that you cannot pay off right away... You know what that trap is. That's what it is. It's a trap. And understand, he is writing to Christians. These are Christians who understand grace. They understand faith. They understand what God has done for them. These are people whose theology is all right. It's just they're deriving their sense of security from somewhere else, which is what we tend to do. Their sense of self-worth from somewhere else, which is what we tend to do. And he says, be careful. Be careful that you don't fall into that trap. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that what you have somehow defines who you are. Don't put, fall into the trap of putting all of your hope and all of your security in how much you have in your bank account. That's a trap. For the love of money, he says, is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, we've heard that. We've probably heard that saying over and over again. This is where it comes from. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, if I asked you this morning, do you love money? I bet most of us would say, I don't love money. I like it. We date on a regular basis. (laughs) Maybe a little infatuated sometimes, but I don't love money because it's it's hard to see love of money in the mirror. But if it kind of helps you, when you were young and in love, that first love, do you remember all the crazy things you did because you were in love? Foolish things, you know, kind of nutso things, you know, drive hundreds of miles just to spend an afternoon together or something like that. Remember all those things you used to do when you were young and in love? How many here, you don't have to raise your hands, how many of you have done some pretty foolish things 
because of your desire for something that you wanted to buy. And you, you justified it all in your mind, how it was okay and, and how you could pay this off in a certain amount of time. Don't raise your hands. But those are the foolish things you do when you're in love. Paul says, be careful. This is a trap. This is a trap. Don't rely on the supply. Rely on the supplier. He says, command them to put their, not to put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Because the truth of the matter is, our supply comes and goes. Our bank account goes up and down. The value of our homes go up and down. We never thought that three or four years ago. We thought it was only up. Now we've discovered it. Not only does it go up, it comes down. I heard someone the other day were saying, yeah, we were thinking about downsizing. We just didn't realize it was going to be in the same house. (laughs) 2,000 years ago, Paul said, I could have told you that. (laughs) That's just, that's uncertain. The stock market is all over the place. He says, if that's where you get your identity, if, if that's where you put your hope, if that's security for you, understand, that's a very loose and, and tenuous foundation. There's no security there. There really isn't. Don't put your hope in the supply. Put your hope in the one who supplies. Because he knows that it is very easy that as the bank account grows to slowly and subtly shift your trust off of God and onto the bank account. Isn't that true? Isn't it true? When I had nothing, man, I depended wholly on God. Now that I've got a little bit of equity or a little bit of my retirement account or a little bit of my savings, that's becoming more and more my trust and security. Now, it's not... He doesn't say don't save for the future. Don't plan ahead. That's not what he's saying. He's saying just be careful where it is that you place your trust. Because your supply will come and go. It'll go up and down. Keep your faith and your trust in the one who's the supplier. It's okay to have wealth. Just don't put your hope there. And by the way, did you notice what he said? Put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for what? For our enjoyment. You ought to like that part of the verse. God, God isn't a miser and holds things back and just make life miserable. God provides and he provides richly for our enjoyment, he says. But just be careful where it is that you're actually putting your hope and your trust. So he says, cultivate a sense of contentment. Put your faith and trust fully and only in God. And then the last thing, use what you have to do good. Use what you have to do good. This is what will breed contentment in your life. Command them to do good. This is the other commandment. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. It's a shift in our thinking, and we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks. It's really shifting our thinking from all that I have and all the extra I have is for me to spend on myself To start thinking that God has given me so much so that I am to share that. This really came home for me first time I took a trip to Uganda. And I remember talking with one of the pastors there. And and it wasn't too long after the 9-11 incident. And, you know, we were all singing God Bless America at baseball games and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I never thought of it in those terms. 
But, but Pastor Eric said this. He said, you know, we pray God bless America because when God blesses America, you bless us. And it was like a switch went on in my head. Of course. Of course. Not God bless America. God bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. God blesses me so I can bless others. It's a complete shift in our thinking that I use what I have to help others. God has provided for me so I can provide for others. Because you see, with wealth comes all kinds of other opportunities. It's not just finances. People like you and me, rich people like you and me, we have more free time than anybody else in the world. We get paid vacations, most of us here. A large portion of the world doesn't. We have time available to us. We have resources available to us that we can use to help other people. Other people in our own country, other people in our own neighborhoods, other people around the world. We have that. God has given that to you and to me. Not just for our own benefit, although he gives it to us for our enjoyment, but he also says, use that to help others. Use that to bless others. Understand, and and that's always been the case with God. All the way back to his covenant with Abraham, he said, I will be a blessing to you, and through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. God's, God's economy has always been, I give to you so you give to others. I give to you so you give to others. That's how it works. And whatever God has given to you, as little as you might think it is, some of that he has given to you to give to others, to help others. Because with wealth comes opportunity, and with wealth comes responsibility. And I'm so excited that we've got 21 people signed up and planning to go on a mission trip this summer to Uganda. That's incredible. They are taking their time and some of their time, money, their treasure, and they're investing it for somebody else. You've got time. Instead of taking all of your vacation time just for you. Now, you need some of that. You need recuperation time. You need vacation. I'm not saying don't take a vacation. But maybe think about using some of that vacation time to serve somewhere, to volunteer somewhere. Or maybe you've got a free evening or free afternoon. You've got time. Maybe you've got skills and abilities that you could help somebody with. Just be thinking about how God has blessed you so that you can bless other people. This book I've been reading, one of the books I've been reading is called 58. And it's based on Isaiah 58. And the subtitle is Fast Living. But it's not about living fast. It's about fasting and using the extra to be able to help others. Here's something. Here's a suggestion. You might, you might fast for a week from Starbucks. Fast for a week from a vente, decaf, mocha, you know, with extra whip, you know. Because if you fast for a week, that comes to somewhere around $30. And you could take that same amount of money and sponsor an orphan. And make a huge difference in somebody's life. Just by fasting for a week. One week out of the month, say, I'm not doing Starbucks, I'm not doing lattes, I'm not doing rags, I'm not doing, I'm not doing coffee, I'm going to eat home. And take the difference. Maybe, maybe a two or three day fast from food. And the groceries and the money you would have spent for meals those days, use that to do good. Because that's what he says. Be rich in good deeds. 
be generous and willing to share. There's, there's all kinds of ways. Our children's ministry, our dig children's ministry, they have, um, for about the last nine months, they have been um, just, in, just in change, just the kids coming and bringing and giving some of their change, have been investing in our Nichols for Nets program. They have raised $178. Our kids, yeah. We're going to be able to buy eight more mosquito nets for, for our trip when we go to Uganda, and hopefully more than that as they're continuing to give. Little kids can do that. You see how it adds up? The dollar club we've been talking about, it, it makes such a difference if just $1 per person, which is nothing for us, for most of us. But man, it can make a huge difference in somebody's life, in some family's <clears throat> finances. See, just, just, if you just start thinking that way, if you, move, if, if you move the focus out of what I don't have and you change the focus to what other people might need, that's fostering contentment. And it's changing your way of thinking, and it's, it's making generosity. It's taking it out of the, off the back burner and putting it on the front burner. It's making, like we said the first week, from the bo- instead of on the bottom of the list of my finances and my budget, moving it to the top. And just find one simple way. Those are a few suggestions. You might be able to think it's going to look different for every one of us. But I'm really encouraging each of us, and I'm praying that each of us take this to heart, that we find some way that we can, we can use what extra money we have, what extra time we might have, what extra uh, abilities and talents that we could use to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. Because God says the best way to handle your wealth and the best way to loosen money's grip on you is to give it away. He says that is the best way to live. In this way, he said, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. It is the best way to live. It's what God says to you and me, rich Christians. Cultivate contentment. Put your trust in God, not in your resources. And learn to be generous and give it away. It really is the best way to live. It is the life that is truly life. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.